the New York Mets, my beloved New York Mets, have finally got it right on a consistent basis. There have been singular moments where we got it right, then it was mixed in with some failures. But from the time our new owner Steve Cohen has taken over the organization, every move has made sense. Even if you disagree with not going out there and breaking bank on Springer or not signing Bauer, the Mets have a linear vision. And that's something that Mets fans can say that hasn't happened or hasn't existed for a long time. The only vision we had, when I say linear vision, I'm speaking about linear vision towards winning baseball games, winning a championship. The only vision the Mets have had prior to that is means of winning headlines every now and again in the offseason and not spending too much money crying about Madoff's Ponzi scheme from 13 years ago now. We had cheap owners, we had people in place who weren't necessarily trying to win at all costs. They were trying to win their way. They were trying to run the Mets as a small market organization in the biggest market in the world. It was never going to work. But since we've brought in this new owner, Mr. Cohen, Every decision has been lockstep towards winning. We have a clear view. We have players who are in their prime or players who are entering their primes and they are ready to win games. And then we proceeded to trade for one of the best players in the league, one of the faces of the league. And not only did we trade for him, we didn't lowball him like the previous guys would. We broke bank. 10 years, $341 million. And you know what? They got it done by the deadline of opening day. In the past, we would have had to sweat this out all season. Will he or won't he? Will he or won't he? This ownership group, shout out to Sandy Olison, a guy who I've been funny about in the past for, for putting the team together to get lockstep with Francisco Lindor, getting this deal done. And I got to talk about it at the beginning of this episode because I recorded this episode about a week and a half ago, you know, and the things happened with the gray area with an episode that went crazy and I had to do a sequel. So I had to push this episode back. And in the process of pushing this episode back, Mr. Lindor decided to be a Met for life. So I got to give you the prelude. I got to give you the precursor of the Lindor talk here. Shout out to the new organization, the new leader in the organization, pardon me. Shout out to Francisco for choosing the Mets essentially long term. I know he chose the paper. Don't scoff. The cynics are scoffing. He chose the paper, but he didn't have to sign with us. Someone was going to pay Francisco wherever he decided to end up. So shout out for the parties getting involved and making this happen. Shout out to the Mets for having a clear vision. Shout out to the Mets for not breaking bank because unlike in other years where we just, you know, signed the wrong guy for big money to win a headline, every decision we made, we had with our eyes towards the future, right? I'm excited about this. I'm excited about Lindor. I'm excited about the upcoming season. Now let's get into this episode. Another baseball season is upon us, and it's another year for us Met fans to be semi-hopeful that this will be the year that we get to witness, as adults, a world championship. I'm not saying that we're going to be champs, but we're hopeful. This is The Gray Area, and I am your host, Ray Jarvis. Showtime! It's almost a year to the day that I had these two gentlemen on. We were talking about the Astros. We were talking about the Mets. And then COVID happened and our world changed forever. But they're back. The Mets are a little different. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of anticipation surrounding this team. And the irony is a year ago, I was screaming 2020 world champs. And in 2021, I don't even want to say it. 
But Greg, Manny, fellow Mets fans, we bleed orange and blue. Welcome back to the gray area. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's an honor. Yo, fellas, uh, could this be the year? Is Lindor's in tow? The players are hitting in the preseason. Uh, Manny, I'm going to go to you. I'm going to let you get the ISO to start it off. How do you feel? Let's 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 get it rocking. The Mets, are you hopeful or are you cautiously optimistic? Listen, man, uh, you know me, man. You know my makeup. You know my DNA. Mm-hmm. I am doom and gloom Mets fan through <laughs> and through. You know what I'm saying? I'm always waiting for the shoe to drop. Yeah, matter of fact, I already assumed the shoe has dropped. I'm just waiting for it to land. Oh, um, <laughs> Um, so I'm that type of Mets fan, full, full disclosure. Um, but, you know, I texted you this week, man, and I told you, man, I'm, I'm starting to believe, man. I, I don't know what it is, man. I, I feel like ever since November, that fateful day in November, when Steve Cohen took over, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. I feel like I'm walking better. I feel like I'm, I'm smelling better. I feel like I, I feel like it's, it's, it's no more clouds in the sky. You know what I'm saying? The birds are chirping. There's no smog in the air. Like I'm, I'm, I, it feels good to be a Mets fan. What you're saying is back it, that loser energy that surrounds the Will Ponds is no longer clouding the Mets' vision. Yes, I mean okay. even even like the most Metsian things have happened to us this offseason. Like Jared Porter deciding he wanted to be a Greek. Mm-hmm. Like even that didn't even feel like very Metsian by 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 definition compared to some other shit. You know what I mean? Like some other stuff. Sorry, forget I'm on the. Forget I forget I gotta keep it PG thirteen. I'm glad you caught it this time. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Nah, man. But even that, like, it was like a, it was news for like a day, two days, and then it was like back to feeling good again. You know what I'm saying? So, I'm, I'm feeling hopeful, man. I don't know if it's just, it's the meds from the, it's the meds from the ACL injury or what. But um, I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling good as a Mets fan today. I'm hopeful. But Greg, talk to me. What are your take? What is your thoughts on this upcoming season? Are you lit? You hype? Cautiously optimistic? Or are you also waiting for the other shoe to drop? I am cautiously optimistic. I keep seeing polls coming out with the Mets in the top five of the power rankings, and I don't like it at mm. all. Because whenever this happens, if you're a true Mets fan, you know whenever we are slated to be one of the best teams in the league, it never ends well for us. This is true. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this. Go ahead. I was at work talking to one of my homies. He's a Yankee fan, but he's not one of those Yankee fans that crushes the Mets. And he was saying he likes what they're doing, Mm -hmm. but let's hope that they don't end up on Sports Illustrated. One week later, Lindor's on the cover. A week after that, Carrasco has a hamstring. So I'm like, geez, here we go again. You know, like I, every time I think we could get some prosperity, there's a little reality around the corner. Granted, Carrasco is not DeGrom. He's not Thor. He, I'm not even sure if he's Strowman right now, but he's an important piece. So that back-to-back of the Sports Illustrated cover followed by the injury went from hype 2021 world champs to now i've regressed to cautiously optimistic why because 
Unlike, I would say, maybe two or three seasons ago where we couldn't score. If we went down 2-0, the game was over, it felt like. We have yep. a real lineup. And with the exception of Lindor, we have a real lineup filled with homegrown talent. I don't know when it happened. With, with, you know, all of a sudden you have Conforto hitting, Dom Smith is hitting, Pete Alonso's hitting, Jeff McNeil's hitting. You got a player like Jeff McNeil showing up and being a surprise. We, he wasn't on anyone's radar. He's kind of like what DeGrom was when he came up. Montero was supposed to be the guy, but it ended up being DeGrom. McNeil shows up and he, he didn't even have a proper number. I think he wore 68. Next thing you know, this guy's hitting everything. He's like he's like Brett Butler out here. So, you know, having a real lineup, having a GM and an owner who, excuse me, a uh, head of baseball operations and an owner who are going to spend the money properly leads me to believe that we are in position to make moves. Maybe not right now. I think we'll score better than we'll pitch right now. But if there's a trade to be made midseason, I think we are in position to make noise a la 2015. Absolutely. I think Manny touched on something that is really important as Met fan. Steve Cohen is a difference maker because he actually Fact. likes baseball. He wants to win. Yes. Wilpon didn't care about baseball. Yo, the all they cared about was trying dragged. to make, make money. Go ahead, say that again. So all they cared about was trying to make money off other business adventures outside of baseball. Listen, and then they dragged the Madoff situation for over a decade. Y'all have the money. You play in New York. You built a new stadium. Honestly, after 2015, with that playoff run, and then you followed it up with 2016 where City Field was lit lit, I was at mad games. So you can't tell me you wasn't making money, but you still cried broke. You still put a budget. You still operated the Mets as a small market team in the biggest market in the world. They needed to get the hell out of there, and I'm thankful. They tried to even sabotage the Cohen move because part of me wondered if they tried to sabotage it because they knew he being the owner would make them look super terrible on entry. It made me wonder because they, all of a sudden it, it went from he was out and then he was back in. I felt some type of way. Go ahead, Greg. I hear you coming in. I actually, Yeah, I actually have uh, some uh, inside information about that. What okay. happened was Cohen wanted to buy the team for the longest, being a real Mets fan, mm. and the Wilpon refused to sell it. So what he did was he would buy, you know, small shares of the team until, so they wouldn't notice. But then as he started getting more shares, I believe a minority owners kicks in at 15%. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Then he could have a bigger stake and make, uh, and play in decision. And they caught that and they were tight. Oh, so what you're saying yeah. is he's even a better businessman than them. He found a way to finagle his way. Absolutely. And they were tight that he found a loophole in trying to get the, get the team from under them. Well, listen, if they're two rich idiots, of course that will happen. He, do you see the What was it? The, the younger Wilpon? You ever saw his hairdo? He looked like a moron. Oh, God. Guys, God. All this Wilpon talk is making me sick. I'm man. sorry. Manny, Manny. I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry. I don't even want to Facts. mention their names anymore, man. Because like, they're scumbags. They're scumbags, bro. Bro. All right. So let's talk about ownership. Just to think. Just to think, a couple months ago, we were this close to having Jennifer Lopez and Alex Rodriguez as owners of the Mets. Oh, no. Just think about where we would be if that was the case. I'm just throwing that out there. Why, why you want to bring up bad things? Because I'm convinced that the breakup happened because they didn't get the Mets. The union probably <laughs> might have been to get the Mets. Yeah, and then maybe, once they didn't maybe. get the Mets, they were like, you know what? Ah, this isn't working out. Let's although, let's break although up. Although it is Jennifer Lopez, man, so you can never discount other things. 
Yo, the memes for J-Lo with the Thanos and the Jordan rings and all of that, bro. Beautiful. <laughs> but talk yeah, to me, fellas. Manny, Manny you've been, you been a little too quiet, so I'm going to throw this to you. Noah Syndergaard is the reason yeah. I personally wasn't too broken up about Bauer becoming a man. And then the foolishness in the preseason with him pitching with one eye open and doing all that Chuck nonsense kind of validated that. I'm thankful that this is the Dodgers' problem now because I feel like Syndergaard coming back midseason will be the secondary arm we will need to make a push without necessary, necessarily making a trade. Am I right in feeling that way, or do you feel like, you know, maybe Thor isn't that guy anymore? Um, yes and no. Okay. Uh, I think, first of all, we, we can't really bring up Noah Syndergaard until we know what Noah Syndergaard is, right? Mm. I mean, obviously, he's coming back from Tommy John. We don't know what he looks like. I know he's he's gone out there and he's thrown without a shirt and, you know, all that other stuff. You know, <laughs> you know he looks good. It's fastball stuff. But until we actually see him in a major league game, you know, throwing that fastball at, in the high, you know, high 90s to even 100, we'll know what Noah Syndergaard is. So obviously right now we can't even really speak on it because like I said, we don't know what this man is right now coming off of surgery, being out for a year and or by the time he comes back, what, 14, 15 months. Um, I was one of the Met fans that was disappointed we didn't get Trevor Bauer just because okay. I feel like when, if we would have gotten Trevor Bauer, um, um, I feel like that puts us in a different conversation. Like right now we're contenders. We're, you know, we're definitely a team that with the talent should make the playoffs, but I don't know if we're World Series contenders as of yet. Okay. Um, getting Bauer, I think it would have shifted us into a World Series contender. And I think the disappointment was, it wasn't so much that we didn't get him, was that the Dodgers, a team that we're, we're in direct competition with, got him. Right. So now you're in a situation where you got to beat this guy potentially in a postseason series. So I think that hurts you. But look, I mean, look, I get the issues with Bauer. Bauer is not everybody's cup of tea. I personally don't care what he does. As far as as far as I'm concerned, if he pitches out, if he goes out there and gives me seven innings, ten strikeouts, you know, one run, I don't care if he, he pitches with one eye closed, two eyes closed, <laughs> takes his shirts off, you know, harasses women on Twitter. I shouldn't say that. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Misogynist. <laughs> Uh, I don't care. Let's just let's put it this way. I don't care what his behavior is. Uh, as long as he's out there doing and pitching the way that he's capable of pitching, then um, I really don't. I don't. I really don't care about Trevor Bauer. Um, but I, I get the hesitation with some methods. You know what I mean? This is a dude that has a personality. Um, he he has that volatile personality where it can go either way, especially in New York. Um, so yeah, I get the, I get the hesitation, but yeah, I, I still think we're in a good position, though, man. You know, obviously with with Degrom being Degrom and you know, Carrasco and Strowman um, and Syndergaard eventually down at, at one point at, at one point in the season, we'll, we'll be getting back probably June, July, whatever. Um, yeah, I think we're still in a good position. And you, you brought up something about the rotation with Carrasco's injury. I think this year is different, too, because we've made some smart depth moves, man. Jordan Yalamoto. Absolutely. Um, AZ. You still got Peterson. I want um, Walker. Yep. You, you, you still have some pieces in there that you can slide in. I mean, it's, it, baseball right now, man, in, in the game today, man, you need about seven starting pitchers, man. You, you, it's not even five anymore. You need about seven or eight starting pitchers because you know pitchers are going to get hurt at some point, right? right. So I, I like the depth of this team as far as the rotation goes. All right, so we're going to bring the pitcher into the fray. Greg, similar question <laughs> yeah. to you. A lot of talk about Tommy John and pitchers coming back stronger after the surgery. So, again, I, I'm going to ask you here. Should I be confident in my confidence 
in Thor or should I fall back just a tad? I, I absolutely think you should be confident in, in Thor's physical ability. Okay. Because right now, even in side sessions and bullpen sessions, he's not 100% and he's still throwing 96, oh. 97. <laughs> you, which is a really good sign. And he's not close to coming back yet, but the side sessions, he looks really good. Uh, so physically, I don't think that's going to be an issue. Mentally is where I want him to really focus on being a pitcher and more of a thrower. Okay. He comes back. I think that's the most important thing. And having guys like DeGrom, Stroman, and Carrasco in front of him can only help him. And um, Manny said, you know, we're not contenders, just like World Series contenders, but, you know, we're play we're a playoff team. With our rotation, with those four guys, you get into the dance, anything happens. Yep. Yeah, I don't see like, any scrubs. I don't. I don't see any John Nieces or Steve Max on these rotations, or or Mike Pelfries, or or that guy. What's oh his name God. again? Zach Wheeler, who <laughs> never lived up to expectations as a Met, but somehow ended up in Philly and was good. I'll also say this about Bauer. I I think he's funny money. I know he's good, right? But I don't think he's Cy Young good. I think he was a beneficiary of circumstance. A sixty-game season. Trunk super truncated, basically a third of a baseball season, and you're the Cy Young Award winner. Stop! Like you didn't have the full slate of games. So to say this guy is Cy Young and and he's super elite and we got to have him, absolutely not. I still remember you throwing a temper tantrum and throwing the ball over the center field wall. I still remember you just being kind of a bozo at various points throughout your baseball career. So for me to say he's a Cy Young Award winner, we need him at the top of the rotation. He's gonna have to show me this year in a Dodger uniform, in a tougher division, because he was in the NL Central where there's a lot of schmegs over there. This is Now you're playing real baseball on a real team. Show me this year. If you do it this year, then everything I'm saying about him, I'll walk it back. But as of right now, he's a really good arm. He's not an elite Cy Young arm. The, he's not Garrett Cole. He's not DeGrom. He's not that level to me, so I'm not too upset. I have a whole boy, Eddie Cigaro. He's my brother. This guy is a Met fan. I think he's probably worse than Manny on the doom and gloom scale. Um, he was really upset about us not getting Springer. You know, I would have liked Springer. I'm not going to front. But at six years, $150 million, I don't think yes. he's that level of a player. I hear you, Manny. Talk to me. Were you? Do you agree with what I'm saying, or did you think we needed Springer? I, I absolutely agree with you. Look, I love George Springer. I love the intangibles that George Springer brings. He's a great postseason player. He, but six years, $125 million for George Springer. Like, this is what Mets fans have to understand. First of all, when the Mets got Francisco Lindor, their priorities shifted. Yes. They just got a 27-year-old superstar who you're eventually going to have to pay $350 million at least mm-hmm. to keep in town for the next, at the very least, 10, 10 years, years, right? Yeah. So, and not to mention, we've got probably our second best player, third best, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, Michael Conforto, who's also headed for free agency. So the Mets decided, look, is it really prudent right now to spend six years, $125 million on a 31, soon to be 32-year-old George Springer when we've got Conforto, when we've got Lindor, and oh, by the way, DeGrom can opt out in a year. True. Like, it's not, it just didn't make sense. So this idea that the Mets lost, like, since when did George Springer become Ken Griffey Jr.? <laughs> right. Seattle. They were like, supposedly I mean, like, stealing signs, and he wasn't even hitting 280. Yeah. <laughs> nah, George Springer, George Springer is a really good player, and I would have loved that the Mets had got him. 
You know what I'm saying? But the Mets played it right. You know, they said the Mets were waiting for the market to crash on George Springer. If the market would have crashed and it would have been a situation where, you know, they could have got him for like four years, 80 million, yeah. then yeah, George Springer would be a Met. But it didn't. The, the Blue Jays felt the need. They had a need for George Springer and they, they made a deal. Good for them. And that's the thing about Met fans that they need to understand. Do we have new money in tow? Yes. What excited me about this offseason was the smart decision making. You didn't have a GM or an ownership group trying to like get players to win the headlines, to win the back pages. They made smart decisions. If Cohen wanted to get that man 150 million, he could have. But why do that? Why compromise the team when there's long-term plays and they'll be better? People were acting like this was the last free agency in MLB history. There's yes. gonna be better players next year and the year after and the year after, and there'll be trades. If we if we saw anything. We found a way to win that Lindor trade. Who, who do we give up that we're truly going to miss? Unless Rosario becomes Lindor 2.0, we won the trade, okay? And, yeah. and then the fact that we yeah. got Carrasco in the deal, we fleeced him, in my opinion. Unless Carrasco becomes Diaz two years ago, we fleeced him, in my opinion. You got a good pitcher and an elite shortstop. Stop it. Mets yes. fans need to understand yes. that. And can I and can I let this off, too, while you at it, while you are on that same topic? Can, can we get over this uh, JT Real Muto thing as well, too, Met fans? Like, please. Wait, that's like, still a I thing? like JT I Real Muto. Was... He's a good player. Good player. Good catcher. Good. He's not Mike Piazza. He's not Johnny Bench. <laughs> JT Real Muto is a good player. But if you ask me, we basically got a poor man's version of JT Real Muto at Facts. $90 million less. Talk about it. Go ahead, Greg. I hear you jumping in. Yeah, I mean, the, you said it. You said it, right? The Mets, for the first time in a long time, are spending money efficiently. Yes. yes. James uh, George Springer has never hit over three hundred, and he, he's had an OPS over nine hundred once in his career. His contract is not worth his production, especially like Manny said, going on thirty-two years old. You know, so and not only that, what they did with bringing in Kevin Pillar for like, you know, he's not gonna yes. hit like Springer, but that defense is gonna stay run. And that's when you have pitching like we do, we lack the defense. Even from 2015, we made so many errors in that World Series that we shouldn't have made. Oh, why are you, you picking know, scabs, so, bro? What you said? Why are you picking scabs right now? Yeah, man. <laughs> I'm, I, still, I still can't get over that ground ball to Murphy. Come on, Jesus. Come on. You know, you know why, bro? Because they're, they're addressing the defense for the first time in a long time. And it makes me really happy. <laughs> and people were talking about Chris Bryant. If the Cubs decide, and they know for a fact midseason, that they're not going to pay him, and for all intents and purposes, they're not going to pay him, we could trade for him midseason when his value will be even lower because now he'll have them by the balls. We already know J.D. Davis is not all-world third baseman, but why do we need to get fleeced by the Cubs right now when we could trade more aggressively midseason when they're trading with their hands tied behind their back? Because as a Chicago team, as soon as Epstein left, uh, they kind of the Cubs again, no? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yes. But I'll do you even I'll do even one better. Uh, we know Oakland don't spend money. True. Why not? And go out and get Matt Chapman. That's, that's an upgrade defensively and offensively. Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. I'm not mad at that. And honestly, and honestly, I'm, like, let's say, let's say Davis doesn't work out, right? This kid Guillaume, man, I like this kid, man. He's one of my Ooh, favorite players. Talk on the about team, it, bro. This guy, this guy does a little bit of everything. He just, he's just one of those type of players that just helps. He just does everything, a little bit of everything, and somehow or another, he always finds a way to find to just be productive. Get the big hit, get a big walk, do something to help you win a game. 
I wouldn't be mad at keeping this guy at third base if if, da- if Davis falters, man. So please, the only difference. Oh no, go ahead, man. No, I was just gonna say we don't have. I like that we're in a position where we don't have to go out there and make a trade if we don't have to. If Guillermo continues his maturation, then I think we have a guy in house that can step in at third base. Guillermo, will he be Absolutely. like McNeil two point Another guy we wasn't checking for that becomes the real deal. 100%. Remember, remember when the Mets couldn't draft well and they didn't, and, they, and their farm system was crap. Remember that? Those were good times. In one off season, <laughs> we kind of replenished that. Um, and I, it's funny, Manny. I appreciate you for mentioning the farm system, Greg. I, before we got on, you were mentioning the certain things you wanted to talk about baseball wise. Was the farm system part of that discussion? Yeah. Yes, it was. It was. So let's get I, into and that. Before I get to that, I just want to say that uh, Guillermo's twenty two. At pitch at bat in spring training is one of the best things I've seen all year mm-hmm. on this match. The, the team, the, the camaraderie just from that AD, like, it just feels different. Absolutely. So what about this? Uh, I think his name is Khalil Lee and the rest of the farm yeah. system. Are the Mets, out, they're not the Dodgers, but are, how confident no. can we be in the farm system? I, so a lot of our top-notch talent is in the big league. But what I think they did this offseason, which was really smart, was kind of trying to replenish some of that. And Khalil Lee's at the top of that list. When was the last time the Mets had an outfielder that can steal bases consistently? I don't even remember, bro. Like, Long time ago. That's Khalil Lee. If somebody gets hurt in the outfield this year, I guarantee you're going to see this guy. And he's one of those people that brings old school baseball back to the diamond. Mm, aggressive on the base paths. Might break up a double play, strong defender. Would you say he's basically finally replacing Juan Lagares, but a little more talent? Absolutely. I don't know if he's the level of center field defender that Lagares was in terms of covering ground, but as an overall ball player, I give him the knock because he's a better hitter than Lagares. All right. So let me ask you this How much pressure does Lee's presence put on a player like Brandon Nimmo? I think it's huge because to me, this is like Nimmo's uh, make it or break it year. Like either you're going to be a, a fourth or fifth outfielder or you're going to be a starting center fielder and produce at a major league level. Fourth or fifth outfielder. They, the Mets have him slated to be our leadoff hitter right now. So I think they have a little higher expectation of Brandon, no? I, I oh, no, 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 no. I'm saying that. I'm saying he has to produce that, mm. with the role he has or that's what he'll become. Got it. Got it. Got it. Go ahead, Manny. No, I was just gonna say um, I'm 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 I might be in the minority, but I also I think at some point before the spring training is over, they're gonna put the DH in the National League. It, it just makes too sense. It makes so much sense. You know, ask pitchers to bat. You know, when they have a, essentially bat in a year, they're gonna come up with a deal late in the late in the. You know, you know how baseball works. True. Just in this regard, but you know they're gonna come up with a deal eventually, um, and they're gonna they're 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 gonna figure it out. Um, so that shifts the momentum even further because now you have Nimmo in his natural position, which is left field or a corner outfield spot. So I think that even opens up center field even more for a guy like Khalil Lee because let's say, you know, Pilar gets hurt or he doesn't produce or a Almora doesn't produce. Then you uh-huh. can bring this kid up and see what you got in him. So the the, 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 the Khalil Lee was a sneaky, underrated move this offseason. Oh, yeah. It was the offseason by far. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As far as like non-mainstream moves. And you know what's yep. funny? When you think, when you look at the trade, the Mets had no reason to involve themselves in that deal. The the, the principals <laughs> in that deal could have gotten it done without the Mets. But the fact that they involved themselves as somewhat of a greaser and they got a player of that level 
to, to amplify that, that gray area between farm system and the big club. I like it. That shows once again that the Mets are operating from a different point of view. You know what's funny? I got to give credit where it's due. I wasn't a big Sandy Alderson guy, but this offseason shows me that it was never really his fault. It was, it was the idiots above him. So, Sandy, whatever <laughs> I said about you in the past, I'm sorry. I take it back. But if you <laughs> fail again, I'm going to talk bad about you. It is what it is. Uh, they were trying to force him out. Brody was trying to force him out. Shucks. Brody. What's, what's Brody they, up to these was, days? He was the logical, sensible person. Look, I have my issues with Sandy sometimes. I feel like Sandy sometimes is a little... He's a little bit too much of a politician, but that's what I like about him, man. He's level-headed. He's a guy that has seen it all. He's been in different eras of baseball. He's not a guy that's not going. He's not. He's, he doesn't get too high. Doesn't get too low. He's even keel. And I think you need that in an organization. I think you need that guy, that steady presence in, in the top of your organization. That's going to be like, yo, like, friends. I, I guarantee you, he was the guy that was like, look, once we got Lindor, let's shift our focus. We could go out and we could sign a George Springer, but why not save that money? Give more money to, you know, save that money for Lindor, save that money for Conforto, and then, you know what I'm saying, we're not bogging ourselves down with a 32-year-old outfielder that, you know, in two years is going to have to move to a corner outfield spot. That's the other thing about this that people don't understand is that George Springer maybe has another two years left at center field before he has to shift to a corner outfield spot. True. So that's the other aspect of this, too. And I guarantee you, had the Wilcon still been in, in play, George Springer would be a man. That, that would have been the only move of the offseason. There would be no Lindor or anything else. It would be, hey, here's, we gave you Springer. We got about three days of back pages. And now let's go back to being the Mets. And if we happen to be good, beautiful. If not, whatever. But, Manny, you mentioned something about the DH. And I'm kind of getting upset about how MLB and, and the commissioner are using the DH as some kind of leverage and bargaining chip mm-hmm. in order to get the expanded playoffs and a, and a couple of other things agreed upon in the CBA. Yeah. How come you're so confident that this is going to get done? Well, I shouldn't be so confident, but I think it will. It just okay. makes too much sense to me. I, from a from a health and safety situation, like you, I'm ex- I'm essentially looking at this season as an extension of last season, where you're still in a situation where you have COVID protocols. I think it makes too much sense to put a DH in the league, just because if, if for nothing else, you have pitchers that haven't bat in a year, like mm-hmm. literally been a year since pitchers have had to bat in a in a major league game over a year. You know, since 2019. So you're in a situation where now you're asking a Jacob DeGrom, a Garrett Cole, you know, et cetera, to bat in these games and, you know, potentially face injury. I just don't think Major League Baseball can do that. Plus, I do think it's a bargaining chip. It's it's obvious. They're wanting to expand the postseason. The players don't. The players are using the DH as 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 leverage. You know, basically, it's a leverage game. Mm. The players want the DH to be put in. The owners want expanded playoffs, so they're going to come up with some sort of deal. Talk to me, Greg. How do you feel about the DH? You know, as a pitcher who hit his whole life Mm. and and was relatively decent at it. I uh, initially I was just like, nah, that sucks. I want to see pitchers hit. But after actually taking a step back and not being biased and realizing that a pitcher who hits 231 is considered a good pitcher, that's not exactly bringing fans into the seats. <laughs> you know? So I think they need to actually get this done and stop uh, trying to leverage it uh, with the CBA and just make it a rule, you know, that there's universal DH in both leagues. You and know what? You'll get more offense. I. Personally, forget all of the the, the facts that you guys are speaking. I'm speaking merely as a fan. You cannot give us that taste of the DH last season and then say, you know what? 
We're going to take it back. You can't do that. <laughs> you, nah. it's, it's just wrong. No other sport would right. do that. So why does baseball get to get away with that? That's why I think they won't do it. That's why I'm thinking that you, you, you basically had one year in your existence where you had DH in both leagues, and then now all of a sudden this year you're going back to normal rules. That's why I think even baseball can't pull off something so idiotic. Now, you never discounted Ron Manfred is still running baseball, so you can never <laughs> underestimate the anything. The man of sports. Yes. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you, bro. Like, it makes too much sense. It's time. Look, I'm a purist through and through. I, I hated the DH. I hated the idea of the DH in National League. But even I came around to it. It's 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 what it needs to be. It's in, in every level of the sport. You have universal DH. Why not Major League Baseball? Makes absolutely no man, sense. Manny. What's up? Yeah, man, Manny, if, if you, purists like you and myself can admit that DH, the universal DH is necessary. I think fans as a whole need to understand that baseball has to change in order for it to grow. Right. How yes, about this? Absolutely. How about this, fellas? With the advent of launch angles and the shift, how, how does that directly affect the small ball that the National League wants to implore by way of having the pitchers bat? That's the other aspect of this. Small ball is dead. Like, this idea that, like, small ball and is, facts. like, it's dead now. You got all these analytical nerds out here Uh-oh. that think, like, oh, my God, how dare you steal a base? That's so inefficient. Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's, like yeah, you still have some elements of it. I still think that there's some strategy involved in small ball, especially pitchers hitting, you know, you you know, you know, your double switches, your seventh inning stretch. Situational where, you know, small you ball. About, yeah, situa- yeah, exactly. There's situational stuff. But small ball as we knew it, stealing bases, moving guys over, bunting, you know, blah, 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 all that, that pretty much has gone by the wayside because of analytics. So if that's the case, if you're so, if you got such a, such a, such a, such a hard on for, for analytics, then why not put DH in both leagues and just make it what you want it to be, which is an offensive league that, you know, has a universal DH in both leagues and, 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 and just go with that way. Mm, Greg, talk to me. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think small ball is dead, and, and here's why: because you, while you say there's elements, you know, the double switches, but that's that's not small ball. And if you look at the last couple World Series winners, the way they won the World Series, even if go, we go back to, I would say, the 2014 Giants, yeah, they hit home runs, but the guys at the top of the lineup, you know, they were table setters, like legit table setters. Trey Turner with the, the Nats in 2019, even a uh, Juan Soto. Who has pop but still with steel bases going things like going first to third on a single to right field. We still see that and the better teams win because of it. Okay. So smoke as a whole isn't really dead. It's just not the focal point in the grand scheme of things, but when you get the playoffs and you watch playoff baseball, you you see it much more at a higher that's level. What I, that's what I meant to say, right? That's what I meant to say. I feel like in the, in the regular season, I think small ball, you won't see it as much. And I think you don't even see it as much. But I think in the postseason, small ball, still a, it, it's still it's it's still one of those things that you absolutely need to be good at or proficient at to win a championship. Hmm. That's a, look, at, look at Mookie in, in, the, in the World Series. Mookie was yes. all over the field. Yes. You know, you guys make some compelling arguments. Here's another topic while we're here talking about the quality of life in the sport. I might have mentioned this a year ago when we talked about it, but I'm going to bring it up again, damn it. I hate the shift, right? But I understand (laughs) that it's a strategy, and like anything else in sports, if you hate the strategy so much, 
find a way to beat it. But I yes. feel like the way this, the, the shift is being abused throughout baseball, that there should be a limitation on how much the shift gets used. Just like how baseball got involved with the 10,000 pitching changes in, in one inning, they found a way to, you know, smooth that rule out. And it really didn't impact the game as much. It kind of made sense. It made, in fact, it created new strategies. When do I want to change a pitcher? Yes. Who do I want him to pitch to in this particular situation? And those are high leverage moments late in games. And I know I need this guy to pitch to three people. Can I trust him? So on and so forth. My suggestion with the shift would be not to eliminate it right but you only get one shift per inning how do you guys feel about my radical idea to minimize the shift into you got to pick which batter you want to shift against you only get one of these per inning and that's it let's let's figure it out is that too irrational from java or, or is, is there room for uh, adjustment to how the shift is perceived in baseball okay can, can i tap in here tap in uh so I think your initial uh, idea is a little drastic, considering mm-hmm. just going from one to one extreme to the other. But the MLB is trying something in Double A right now, and it's a new rule that will require four infielders be positioned on the field infield dirt Ooh. or infield grass at all times. So you can't have your second baseman in short right field anymore. They're not going to allow that. I like it. I think that's smart to do in Double A because not only that, you're forcing. The, the infield is to play defensively. Mm. Let me see. Yeah. Let me see your real one. Let me see if you could get to that ball on the grass. You know what? And, and we're going to see a lot more web gems in double A because of that. And that's a fact because on top of the, the defense, I kind of miss the 300 hitters who are batting like 270 because the second baseman or the shortstop is halfway through into, into the outfield taking hits away. I have a problem with that. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm with Greg 100. I, I like that idea a lot. I'm I'm, I'm kind of in between on the shift okay. things. Like I get the arguments one way or another. I'm I, I wouldn't be mad either way. Like I wouldn't be mad if we just left the shift alone. I wouldn't be I, uh, I wouldn't be upset if we did your radical idea job of, of just limiting it. Um, I don't think the shift is the biggest issue with baseball as far as rules and stuff like that. I think the pitching, the the the, the twenty thousand pitching changes was just even was idiotic yeah. and it just slowed Fact. the game down immensely i feel like I'm, I'm glad they're starting to address that the shift i get i get why people are proponents of it i think it's a defensive strategy you don't tell bill belichick how many how many linebackers he can have on the field you don't tell you know what i'm saying you don't tell Greg. you know what i'm saying you don't you don't you don't you don't tell college coaches they can't play zone you know what i mean so i, I feel like there is an element of that but um but i like the new i, I like the new idea they're trying now in minor leagues baseball i think i think that is a i think that is something that we're, we're heading to Okay, that's fair. That's fair. You guys make solid arguments on either side of the spectrum. Listen, one shift per inning. I'm here for it. Let me get get Manfred on the phone right now because we need to figure this out. <laughs> because you know what? With, with with the advent of the home run increase, it's even more strikeouts. And I just feel like there's certain nuggets of the game that we're missing out on because it's, it's a feast of family league offensively. Like, I, I still want to see the bases clearing double more often than I'm seeing it these days. It shouldn't just be home run or nothing at all. You know, I granted home runs are nice, but the way players are skilled now... I want to see a little more line drives. I want to see more beginnings. I, I, I missed that part of the game. You but know? We talked so, about small ball earlier, right? We talked yeah, about small yeah. ball earlier. You know what's the most annoying thing when I watch a baseball game? What's that? Is that there's a shift, right? And that whole left side is open. <laughs> and you got guys pulling the ball. You got guys trying to hit fly balls. I'm like, there's literally an acre. 
<laughs> but doesn't okay. that speak to the coaching? They they got taught to pull yes, launch angles. Greg, coach, what's yeah, up? Absolutely. So so it's it's two things here, right? If the pitcher executes and pitches where he's supposed to, the nine times out of ten that hitter is gonna hit it to the ship. But if he makes a mistake, the hitter has to have the due diligence to take that ball the other way. Okay. But the problem with hitters today, they don't think like that because that's not what gets them paid. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And some something you mentioned, Jar, when you're talking about strikeout, that I don't think we talk about enough is the increase in velocity across the major leagues. True. And and pitchers throw harder and their breaking stuff is better than it's ever been in life. Like even Adam Adovino, even though he may not have a great year, that Frisbee slider is ridiculous to hit on a good day. And he's coming and he's following it up with 97 on the black. Like that's really, really hard to to contend with as a hitter because even if you're hitting a 90 mile an hour fastball, you have a tenth of a second to react. So, what is it like hitting 97, 98? And some guys are now hitting 101 and 102. That's wild. Evolution. Scrub pitchers at that, like scrub pitchers are throwing 96, 97. You know what I'm saying? Remember back in the day when we was youngins, like you know, like your great dominant relievers or starting mm-hmm. pitchers, they were the only ones that were really throwing high 90s with that velocity. Now you got run of the mill, you know, basically mop up duty guys throwing 97. Like it's crazy. That that is an element of it too that I think doesn't get talked about enough. Absolutely. All right, fellas, I enjoy this baseball talk. 100%. You know what? I'm going to do this more often. I'm not going to have like a thousand baseball shows, but I think what I'm going to do is quarterly throughout the baseball season, I'm going to have you guys pull up to talk about some Mets or whatever else is going on around the league. This is dope. I'm, I'm having fun. It's, it's, a, it's a healthy change, change of pace for the gray area. But uh, we are coming near the end, and this is the part where we got to get realistic about our team. Uh, it's a two-part question. I'm going to start with Manny first. What are the Mets' biggest weakness, and what are your realistic expectations for this upcoming season? Biggest weakness, uh, I would say, um, is defense okay. still. I, um, especially, this is predicated, obviously, if there is no DH in the National League, then you're asking Dom Smith to play the outfield, which is a, a tough ask, in my opinion. And then you're putting Nimmo in center which hurts you really hurts you in two positions that's why the dh rule is so important for the mets because if not it, it essentially hurts you in two positions in the outfield and then of course you throw in the jd davis situation yeah. um at third so i think defense is still a little bit of a problem and a question mark for this team i would say that's our biggest weakness um and i would say second is probably the bullpen i'm still okay. not sold on the bullpen just yet um, I'm not sold on Diaz. I know everybody likes to throw bouquets at. He had a good year last year in empty <laughs> stadiums, but uh, I still got to see that guy in a in a in a semi-packed City Field with guys on base, two outs, and a drunk guy lead. telling gotta, you suck in the crowd. Right. I, I still got to see him get that save in a big spot before I'm I'm totally a believer. Um, so the, the and then obviously the rest of that bullpen. I mean Lugo's still out. Um, Batances, what is Batances? Is is he the guy that was that he was with the Yankees, or he was the guy that he was with us for sixty games, which was not very effective. Um, so I think the bullpen and defense are the two biggest weaknesses of the team. Um, as far as realistic expectations, where we should be, man. Listen, I, I I started the podcast very hopeful. I think if the Mets win, if the Mets go ninety-two and seventy, which is I think is a very realistic. <coughs> 
a very realistic ask of them. Um, and just in a postseason, whatever happens after you get into the big dance, man, it's, it's great. Um, but I think the Mets should definitely win 91 to 92 games and um, and be in the mix all year for the division and the wild card spot. All right, Greg, your turn. I'm definitely going to agree with the pen. I, th- I think defense will, will figure itself out, especially when you have somebody like Lindor, who's so defensive minded that 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 stuff is, is infectious on the team. You know, people want to play well when they have a guy like that around them. Um, but I need Luis Rojas. If if I don't care how much Diaz is making, if he's not it, you throw Gaselman back there. Like, right. try different things, you know? Yep. Um, just and, and be okay with that because Diaz cost us about 20 games a couple years ago yeah. just by himself. And I'm still not over that. Greg, before you, before you finish your point, the other mm-hmm. thing that we need to talk, talk about before before you before I let you finish your point is this regime didn't trade for Diaz, so I think they're going to have a short leash on this guy as oh, opposed that's to a good uh, point. BBW. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I hope so. Um, and I definitely see I, I see this Mets team as a wild card team, anywhere from like eighty eight to ninety two games. Okay. Uh, they should win. They, they they are a solid team. I don't think they're as good as the Braves yet uh, throughout a regular season. Because the Braves also made some moves on their end. Um, but I do think with our rotation, especially, you know, DeGrom going two times in the series or DeGrom for one wildcard game, I'll hang my hat on that any day. Mm, I like it. I'll say for me, my biggest concern outside of the obvious defensive and bullpen question marks is our manager. You know, he he, mm. he had 60 games last year, so it was a small sample size. So the energy is the same whether positive or negative. But we could still see there were moments in certain games last year where some of his decision making was questionable. You know, we got to call it what it is. You know, I, I yep. gave him a chance coming into last season. Part of it is because of his bloodline. The Lou family are, are legends. They, they baseball lifers. They, they know the game. He was respected coming through the Mets organization because a lot of the players that he's managing now, he came across them as they were working their way through the system. But again, I, I need my manager because baseball is not really big on managing, but there are certain situations. It's not like football where it's play to play to play to play. You're calling a play, you're calling defense, you're calling offense, basketball, you're calling certain sets, you make a certain personnel changes, you want to press here, you want to go a three-quarter, whatever. Baseball in that between the seventh and the ninth inning is where I think managers make their money. And I need to see that in New York City with people in the crowd from Rojas. Can you handle the pressure? Can, can you... Put your feelings aside and be okay with hurting somebody's feelings and yanking him. Can you make the defensive adjustment? Can you do these things? Can you be creative? Just don't, you know, don't set it and forget it. These are the questions that are coming into this season that I feel like he needs to answer. To me, this is his his first official season. Last year, whatever. You know, you got 162 games. You have a new regime to impress. You have a stadium, even if it's 20% capacity, you have a stadium full of people to impress. And I need to see that you can make these decisions that don't lead to us becoming failures as the Mets yet again. As for the record, I'm kind of in line with you guys. I I think maybe I'm a little higher on the pitching staff than, than my guests. I think we're anywhere between 92 and 94 wins but you made a point greg about the braves i have my eye on the braves i excuse me i have my eye on the the nationals as well you know those are two teams that i think that are really gonna 
be pains. Even the Phillies, our division, top to bottom. I'm not really sold on Miami. I think Miami's a joke still. They're going to have to show me this year that last year wasn't a fluke. But Miami's one, pitch is tough, man. True, fair, but they're still the Marlins. You know, again, as the facts change, so will my opinions. If Miami shows up and yep. they, they show to me that last year wasn't a 60-game fluke, then I'll give them their credit. But from the Mets, the, the Braves, the Phillies, the Nationals, those four teams, it's going to be tough. But I'm really looking at the Braves for obvious reasons. I think we're better than the Phillies. I think we're better than the Nationals. But the Braves concern me. Manny, let me ask you, since Greg and I are looking at the Braves, are the Braves the team you're looking at as well, or or is it the Phillies or the Nationals? Um, I don't think the, the Nationals, to me, I'm not that concerned with. I, okay. I really don't like what the Nationals did this offseason. Um, and the Phillies are basically running it back with the same mediocre squad they did last year. So instead of 60 games, they're going to be with a mediocre squad for 162. Ooh, that's fine. Whoop do. Um, the, the teams that I concern myself with in the division, um, I think the Marlins, man. I think the Marlins are doing something sneaky good down there. Okay. I'm with you still. I think they got to do something. I still think they got to prove it. I get it. But I think that pitching staff is legit. And, yeah, the Braves, man. The Braves got it going right now, man. That that lineup, um, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure with their pitching staff just yet. Um, you know, I still got to see more. Um, but but the Braves should be the team to beat in that division, and they are that team as of we speak today. Excellent, excellent. All right, fellas, we've reached a point in the gray area where I asked my guest, of course, to identify themselves. Uh, Greg, we'll start with you. Let them know your social medias or whatever else you got going on podcast wise. Okay. Um... Uh, I'm working with the Sports Hitless Presents Smoking Mirrors. Uh, we're on Mondays and Fridays at 1 p.m. on the Worldwide Radio Sports Network. And you can find us on Twitter and IG at Sports N, the letter N, Mirrors. Okay. Manny, talk to me. Uh, y'all already know who I am, but for the folks that are listening for the first time, I am Manny Brown, host of co-host of Any Given Sunday. Uh, that podcast is available on all platforms. Anywhere you can find pod, pl- uh, podcasts for free online, we are there. Um, also, I am just started a new baseball baseball only podcast. I love baseball, and that's also available on all platforms. And you can follow the two shows on Twitter at AGS Pod for any given Sunday, and then I L Baseball Pod on Twitter gotta learn it it's only one episode in so still choppy on the twitter one but uh yeah follow me on twitter at the manual brown as well man beautiful fellas i appreciate y'all coming on talking some baseball reinvigorating that baseball fire on the gray area we'll be back i'll hey, real say quick, John, real what's quick, up real quick uh i'm gonna get you on the pod as well and greg you down the pot you come on the pod as well man we'll oh, talk some I'm, I'm, and I'm, baseball as well yeah. let's do it Making links happen. You know I'm pulling up, bro. Even if you don't invite me, I'm just going to sabotage the show. Like, hey, what's up? Yo, Manny, what's good, bro? Let's go Mets. Uh, this, this was dope. This was fun. I appreciated this. I All right, this. so I say let's say around the first week in June. or do You know what? Let's wait until the end of June because usually the Mets fall off the cliff in June. So the first week in July, you guys are going to come yeah, back yeah. and we'll assess the situation. How does that sound? Yeah. That sounds, yeah, that sounds good. good. That sound good. Beautiful. Fellas, until next time. All right, brothers. Peace. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Another illustrious episode of the Gray Area. It's not a basketball show. 
It's a sports show, narrative free. If you want that narrative-based garbage, go to your fast food sports shops for that. And as the saying goes, Whether you like it or don't like it, sit down and look at it because it's the best going today. Woo! Perfect.